Becky Holloway is the founder of The Startup Marketer, a fractional CMO marketing consulting firm specializing in supporting high growth companies in the tech space. In this episode, Becky breaks down the buyer behaviors of 2023 and how they relate to B2B marketing effectiveness. She also shares with us step-by-step how she worked with her counterpart in sales while CMO to establish a strong alignment. There's some great gems in this part of the interview that I think all sales and marketing leaders should listen to. This segues into a discussion on her approach to creating a positive culture for her marketing team. From there, we move to discussing the layoffs in the news and we end with Becky's actionable advice to revenue leaders on how to improve diversity in their organization, along with a perspective on how it leads to more creativity, not just more revenue. Really want to get your perspective on are inbound models in trouble with digital advertising and all its issues that are happening? I want to take it back a a little bit Mm -hmm. to a documentary that I watched. It was on Netflix a few years ago, and it was based on the Freakonomics book by Malcolm Gladwell. I hope Mm -hmm. hope I'm getting that right. We'll we'll correct (laughs) it in post-production if not. (laughs) But um, my... And I, I could be confusing this with another like internet documentary, but they're basically at at some point in time, it was decided that the internet was going to be free. And in order for the internet to be free, that means that you have to, there has to be some type of exchange in a capitalist world and right, wrong, or indifferent. That is the world that we find ourselves in. Right. And so if If you're going to access all of this information on the internet, the exchange is you are the product, right? You you are Mm -hmm. the eyeballs that uh, other companies are trying to get in front of. And so they're paying Mm -hmm. for the internet that we get to enjoy for free. And so if we want to enjoy all that Google has to offer, we have to exchange our eyeballs for it. And so I don't, I don't see I that, that going away anytime mm-hmm. soon. I think that's, I think that model is pretty entrenched. Do I think it could transform and change in the future? Of course. Okay. Um, and I mean, there are plenty of people who, um, you know, choose to uh, use different search engines because they don't want to be tracked. They don't want, and and it definitely is a conundrum for marketers, but there's, I think there will always be that tension, right? Mm -hmm. People want something of value, but what are they going to exchange to get that thing of value? And I I think it's, it's happening subconsciously. You make a a valid point. I go onto Instagram and LinkedIn and these applications, I go to Google and I, anytime I don't know something, I just looked up the author of the book you just brought up and all this is free information that I'm able to at my fingertips and it's making this all better. So you're saying the trade-off with that is you know, folks might know who you are, they might have access to a little bit of your information, and they're going to try and compete for your your attention. And and I, I may need to correct myself here, it may be the social dilemma, which was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago, another great one about the internet and about privacy. And it may be that one that talks about that. So We'll, yeah, we'll, fact, we'll fact check, check it. Exactly. But regardless, the point is we are the product. Yeah, exactly. Our eyeballs exactly. are the thing we give in exchange for using the internet for free. Okay. And so we as consumers have to decide, are we willing to pay for not being advertised to? So an example of that would be Spotify, right? If you want to listen to all the music without ad interruption, you can do that. 
And for nine ninety nine a month, because that's what I exactly. pay. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And mm-hmm. then they'll keep raising that eventually. And Disney Plus is doing the same thing, right? right? You can, if you want the ad free experience, you have to pay a little bit more for premium now than you did before. And we, as the consumers, have to decide how much we value our privacy. I know this is going a little. No, funny, this is what we're talking. But it, it factors it's into mm-hmm. whether inbound is dead. All right, so that's one layer of it. The second layer is that the rea- when people right now want to feel self-empowered to make their own decisions when they're buying something, we're talking about sales. So if I'm going um, to investigate, um, you know, let's say I need software to help me create marketing images and I don't have... Um, you know, Adobe skills, Illustrator skills, Photoshop, whatever. I need something simple, simple and easy. I What am I going to do the first thing? Well, I might ask people I know, right. right? That's one thing I might do. But invariably, I'm going to go to Google. How many times do you think you run a Google search every day? I mean, we, we could sit there and count, but like literally a question pops in your head right. and you're like, let me check on Google, right? That's what it's we like do. It's like turning on a light switch. It's automatic. You don't even exactly. think about we it. We don't check the sources or dictionaries or, or encyclopedias anymore like we do when we were kids, right? We can just look it up. Yeah, I, yes, I used an encyclopedia as a child. <laughs> Way back when, right? have Google. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I think that... Um, and I'm I completely blanked. I'm sorry. Um, the fact that we um, that that's how we get our information means that inbound is always going to be something. And inbound is not just paid advertising. Inbound is also right, right, right. search right. engine optimization. So when you think about which is still um, Google and still which is know, still Google, yeah, it yeah, is still part of right? the inbound of course, model. Okay, mm-hmm. there is another search engine Bing, which does still exist and does still you know bring in a few billion or whatever for Microsoft. But um, yeah, and then there's um, another. This actually the second largest search engine after Google, which is also owned by Google, and that's YouTube. Not everybody knows that, but YouTube is the second most searched search engine in the world. So make sure you like and subscribe to this YouTube channel. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I will do that right after this if I haven't already. So, so that's, that's the second layer there. So I think as long as people want to do their own searching and I don't see that going away. Yeah. The buyer journey is still heavily weighted towards doing your own due diligence. You know, we, the transition of salespeople being the gateway to information that changed 20 years ago or whatever it was with the dot-com era. And so now all your, you know, 80% of the buying decision is made before they talk to a salesperson. We, exactly. We, so that, that model is than, not going away, even in B2B is your point. Yeah. And that's different than even 10 years ago, like 10, 12 years ago, you know, when I was first cutting my teeth in product marketing, um, the the consumer was not empowered to make to buy business software, and what you know we're talking B two B, right? That's the world I live in, right? Um, and that's primarily the world you live and play in. So, you know, at, at that time, IT departments really kind of were controlling software purchases. That's really dramatically changed, right? Um, and bring so bring your think, own device, bring your own whatever exactly. uh, entered the market. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I I think that. You know, using search engines to find information, that's not going away. Okay. Do I think it's going to transform? And, and programmatic advertising and hitting people 
you know, yeah. either on websites and you know, that, so that in, but with the cost exponentially increasing and it's not going to okay. get easier to yes. target people, right? The privacy laws are going to get, I mean, they appear to be, I mean, we saw what Apple went through and so forth. Uh, it's getting harder to target those eyeballs specifically. It is. Right. And it's not getting cheaper to do that. So do you see that? I mean, okay. So it's never going away, but is it going to force us to explore other channels and find ways to bypass it? Or is it just going to be, Hey, you need to start allocating more and more budget to this channel and taking it seriously and understanding its effectiveness. I'm trying to understand is, are we, we're not in trouble because we know the behaviors there, but you know, if I'm a startup organization and I have, I'm, you know, trying to reach my 10 million marker and I only have so much marketing budget, um, it's, it, is it worth throwing out the tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of dollars that it costs right. to run these digital advertising campaigns? Do, or do I just put that money back into events now because we're all coming back into person, in person? Yeah. So I, th I think it is going to depend on a few factors. Um, you know, who is your buyer? What, how, how saturated is your target market? I mean, if you're sure. in a, if you're in a market where there's a lot of competition and therefore the keywords are driven, the, the price of the keywords is driven up significantly. Um, you know, you, you're going to have to determine what kind of Thresh, budget threshold you can tolerate. And you're going to have to acknowledge that that means you're not going to get as large a share of the eyeballs as mm -hmm. you want. And so- Adjust my your expectations. Exactly. And I've I've been in that world for a long time. I, right. I have spent the vast majority of my career in early stage startups uh, that didn't have, you know, the the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on Google advertising. Um, and so you have to get in front of your prospects in other ways. I would never recommend anybody to throw all their eggs in any one basket yes. in marketing. I, I always encourage to have a diversified approach to marketing of which I think paid search has to be one component. And so you have to, you know, take a look at pay the landscape. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You are going to have to pay to play. You have to spend money to make money. What, what, why it's, it's complex is that there are a lot of different levers that you can pull in order to grow, uh, grow your business. And you have to determine, okay, where, where are my, where's my target market spending their time? So, are, you know, are they, is this a fairly well-established area and, mm. and they're doing a lot of Google searching? Are there like specific keywords that are well-defined already? Um, and you can, you know, there's free tools out there. You can, Google's keyword tool, you can go and determine, okay, what's the volume of search around this cost keyword, per click. right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the, the other thing you can do, so I'll, I'll take my last um, employer as an example. So we were in contract management. Contract management as a keyword is a super, super expensive keyword, right? It's a, it's a lot of players in the field, but somebody searching for contract management may not even be my target buyer. It could be a law student, right? Who's searching around contract management. It could be, it could be anybody, but somebody searching, you know, best contract management software 2023 Contextualized. is probably looking for a short list of great contract made. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, so really um, honing in on those long tail keywords is going to be a way to help you 
maximize your budget. You don't want to waste budget on keywords that are too broad and are going to kind of throw you lots of stuff. If you only have a limited budget, you're going to want to get super targeted. So it may be a smaller volume of searches around a long tail keyword, but they're much, much more qualified. Yeah, very specific. Yeah, exactly. They're more likely to be in your lane. Exactly. You mentioned YouTube earlier and you mentioned the, 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 the fact that um, you know, it's free for us to consume information. It's also free for us to advertise over social media and through a search platform specifically like uh, YouTube, right? I mean, of course there's paid models, but my point is you can post videos that are inside of a search engine as opposed to yes. uh, a social media platform. And so we don't need to get into the differences there necessarily, but do you think B2B companies, particularly in, in, in tech, uh, we both worked in and uh, specialized in, in software companies most recently. Do you think they're missing an opportunity? Because I don't see a ton of YouTube action from startup organizations that are in tech space. They're doing their best on LinkedIn, which is great, but we know that that's not the only player in town. Yeah. Uh, are, are, are we not doing enough on YouTube and using that as a way to fuel the SEO channel? I don't think B2B is doing enough. Um, I think younger, kind of more hip with it, um, software companies know that and they're doing pretty pretty well in that area. But I think some of the larger, like they're just, it's an older model and, and there's work to be done. The reality mm -hmm. is that the human brain engages with images. It processes images 60,000 times faster than text. Wow. And and when you add movement to that, um, the retention is is so much greater. So video is here to stay. What format that comes in, I think we're still kind of figuring it out, right? Because I mean, YouTube's been around for a while now. Right, I mean, right. 15, 18, 20 years, something like that. I mean, I remember making YouTube videos back in like 2006. So that's oh, snap. I got to go find those. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> There, there might be some office fan videos out there, like you know, saying, <laughs> cool. um, but so, so I think at that time, our attention span was very different than it is today. Mm -hmm. And now if you don't have a TikTok video, that's less than 30 seconds, forget it. We're, you know, we're going on to the next thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think we're still sort of figuring out, you know, what, what video looks like. I, I what I encourage companies to do is have videos of all different lengths. You're going to want, you know, longer sort of demo style right. feature function type videos. Um, I've done testimonial, customer testimonial videos where I have like a, you know, a two minute version, the 60 second version, the 15 second, like Instagram re real kind or yeah, Instagram real style kind of video. Um, right. And I think there's a place for all of it. So when you're building out a video strategy, you need to be thinking through, okay, what am I talking about? Does it lend itself towards one particular length versus another? Um, and, you know, people, people like to be touched in different ways. You right, know, some people right. will, they're podcast people, right? They want to hear the content. They want to have it playing in the backgrounds constantly while they're doing whatever on their laptop. So I, again, I would get back at, it's kind of like with investment, you, you got to diversify, you got it. Pe people are all different. So you need to make sure you're providing content um, and videos that are all different types. Yeah. You had a, a podcast at the company that you were at yeah. last. I've done a lot of podcasting. Actually, I, um, I have my own personal podcast. 
um, which focuses on racial issues. And then I did um, a podcast um, for my former employer um, about contract management. And right. uh, yeah, I've I've actually, I really enjoy this this format. And I like adding video to it because you, you basically, you're doing exactly what you should. You're taking the audio medium. You're going to make this available on podcast platforms, but then you're going to also probably turn this into Repurpose, a Repurpose, get some mileage out of it. Yeah. Yep. You can do little <laughs> snippets, right? If they're little it. clips, like it, this, this stuff is endless. Right. Right. It, it, it is endless and it can take an endless amount of your time if you're not careful. True. Because it can be fun. You know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I geek out on it a lot. In some yeah. Ways. Yeah. Uh, let's let's change gears a little bit. I appreciate yeah. your insights on whether or not inbound models are in trouble with all the digital advertising stuff. In terms of uh, working with sales organizations, as someone who's led a successful startup uh, most recently in that contract management uh, cycle space that we were talking about, I worked with you in that engagement. Mm -hmm. I, you hired me as a consultant. That's kind of how we you know came to be here. And one of the things that I took away from that engagement was the tremendous amount of collaboration, teamwork, synergy, alignment, dare I use the word, that you had with the sales organization, and particularly the head of sales there. And you two uh, ran together, uh, running revenue for about four years, if, if yeah. I'm correct, uh, there at that company. So what does it take to shape that level of alignment with the sales organization? We all know there's a lot of tension that happens a lot of times, misalignments, different goals, there's a lot of issues that surround this, a lot of philosophy, but you've done it successfully. What did it take for you to shape a good alignment with your sales organization? So it took um, a lot of different things and it took time. So I, first of all, Fair. don't expect it to happen overnight. I think that's unrealistic. Okay. It required setting aside um, baggage from the past, which can be very difficult um, and you can only control yourself. You cannot control the other person. So not only are we you talking about a marriage here, or are we? <laughs> no, but <laughs> it, no, I mean, really, it's that's kind that's of what, like yeah, it in right, a way. Right. Um, it requires like so. I would say all the things that are required in any good relationship, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, you know, uh, parents and kids, whatever. Um, they're they're really kind of similar things, right? right? So it's it's setting ego aside. It's listening to understand, not respond. It's it's a lot of things that are just like good communication principles. Um, I think, first of all, um, so I'll, I'll take the example of my most recent um, sales marketing connection, because I think that was a, an example of really working through some of the hard stuff early. Perfect. And there was definitely, there were hiccups and frustrations in the beginning. And I think for me, and again, I can only speak for myself, um, not being physically in person made that harder. So I, I do think it is harder to forge relationships, deep connections when it's just over screen. You can do it. I think we're getting better at it because we're getting more practice with it. But it's very intentional. Is, you have to be very intentional about it. I mean, do. before we jumped on here, we had a little, you know, game planning uh, before we hit record. And we were talking about the pool in the backyard that you got going and yeah, whatnot. Right. But you have to be very mindful, intentional to, to, to do that. It doesn't happen around the water cooler, as they say, uh, any longer, right? Yeah, it's caring personally. Mm. Um, and that 
is another great book. Uh, you know, I'll probably, I'm a big reader, so I'll throw out some other books here. Good, so please. Radical Candor yeah, um, yeah, is, is a, a fantastic book, especially for people such as myself. And I'm going to say, Derek, maybe for you too, because I know you can be very <laughs> radical. I'm like, straightforward, right? But, <laughs> yeah, but Radical Candor works when you care personally, right? Mm, yeah. So having, so leading with empathy, leading with your heart, like genuinely caring for a person and letting them know that you can say hard things to someone when they know that you care about them. And so I think, I think that's where there's just a lot of distrust that exists between marketing and sales. Um, so what marketing? steps did you take when you think about yeah. being patient it doesn't happen overnight and, yeah. you know, establishing that level of personal connection with your counterpart, what, what steps, if I'm taking notes right now, what were the first two or three things that I would do in that regard? Meet every day. Okay. Um, and, and maybe that's 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but I right. would have a face-to-face -face call every, I'd suggest in the morning, you know, if you- Morning stand-ups. Yeah, yeah, a, a morning stand-up. Coffee together, exactly. whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. A, a little huddle um, and you can- just what are the pressing issues of the day? Uh, anything, it, it just gives you that opportunity to uh, interact, um, bounce ideas around, you know, complain about something that's going on if right. you need to vent. Um, and that's how you build relationship time, like spending time together. Um, wow. I also recommend that you have shared metrics. You should be measured on the same things. Well, we know um, that's like always the tension point, right? How many MQLs did we get? Well, how many deals did we close? And right. you know, the, the comp isn't aligned. The KPIs aren't aligned. It's a constant struggle to get that right. How did so you, you do that? Share those metrics. Well, you have to clearly define mm -hmm. those, all of those different categories, right? You have to have a very clear and mutually agreed upon definition of an MQL, of an SQL, of an opportunity. Customers are easier, right? Because they've they've signed a contract. But right. the others, you you need to have clear definitions. You have to have clear definitions around where where the handoff is and how that exactly happens. This is like very in the weeds stuff that right. isn't fun. It's it's very um, tedious. It's not, it's tedious and neither marketing nor sales really wants to do it, but you have to, right? It's like, you can't build like this beautiful house and then have a really crappy foundation. Like the beautiful house will crumble right, eventually. And, and so- The wiring to, doesn't work. The, yeah. the, 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 you can, it looks good, but you turn the faucet on and nothing but brown water comes out. You don't want just, that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So you, you have to mutually agree mm. and you have to mutually own. Um, and I would say another way to do that is to mutually present to the board. So one of the things that, that I did with my counterpart was, um, when, <clears throat> when we would, uh, do our quarterly board presentation, sales and marketing always presented together. And so I would have met with my counterpart prior. We would have, you know, put our slides together. We would have met to kind of talk, okay, who's talking about what, when, where we'd have the notes. So all of that, that's that's buy-in, that's mutual buy-in right. to to what's happening. Um, so I think those are a few really good examples. I also think, um, 
you know, depending on, you know, whether you're in the same office or you're remote, I do think having sort of periodic offsites or, you know, the opportunity to physically get together and just focus on sales and marketing content, strategy, tactics, I think that also really helps. Um, Team building a little bit. I appreciate the point on alignment with sales. Um, When when I worked with you as well, one of the things that really stood stood out to me was uh, the marketing organization and then synergistic aspects that you had just within your team, that microculture that you had sort of formed with you in, in your group. Uh, how, did, how did you do that? People loved working for you. Uh, it was a, a regular, uh, what I would call a happy environment. And being in those meetings with you and seeing your leadership style, uh, you could see that folks were learning from you and so forth. But how much of that is conscious? How much of that is just who you are? Talk to me about how you formed such a good culture with your organization. So I took um, the examples of previous bosses that I had had, mm. and I learned by uh, from that both what to do as well as what not to do. In fact, I think the what not to do it, in some cases is like that's a that's a really powerful teacher. Um, I've been yeah. super fortunate in the past to have a couple of. Um, amazing female bosses. And I'm, I'm, I'm making that differentiation very intentionally um, because as a woman, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a, in a challenging position in leadership, um, straddling this line of, um, you know, wanting to be effective in my leadership, but, um, you know, fighting a lot of stereotypes and microaggressions that, you know, I faced for the entire 20 years that I've um, been in business. Right. So I, you know, it's, it, I'm, I'm always looking to people like myself to learn from them. I think you have to, you know, this is the thing about representation. If you don't see it, it mm-hmm. it's harder. It, it It's, it's yet another obstacle to, to becoming it. If you're, if you're literally the first one. So having that representation, those female leaders where I could observe how, how they were balancing the need to be direct without being unlikable, which is one of the biggest challenges that women face. Um, Minorities in general, I I can relate. Yeah, Yeah. 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 And you are, when you are direct, you are viewed as you know, you're called names, you're viewed as online. I mean, literally studies have been done about how, you know, especially I, I know this is true, the studies about women, that the higher they climb in their career, their likability factor declines. It's sort of like inversely correlated where it is, that is not true for men. The higher a man climbs, the higher his likability factor um, goes. So, you know, these are, these are tough things. So Watching women who were amazing bosses like that, that's been awesome. I think also just generally, you know, applying like what are things that people don't like, like Mm. being micromanaged, um, being limited, being, you know, so I, one of the things I really tried to focus on with my team was empowerment, empowering them. I believe that you should surround yourself with people who are better at, at, certain things in you higher to your weakness. Right. So when I, you know, I may not be, um, you know, the, the most, uh, creative copywriter in the world. So hire somebody who is an amazing creative copywriter, or I may not understand all the nuances of social media 
best. So hire somebody who can, who lives and breathes social media all day. Like there's nothing wrong with acknowledging where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are. And I would say surround yourself with people who are really good and then praise them. Everybody loves to be praised and it's free. It doesn't cost anything, right? Like to say like, you're doing a great job or, or thanking someone I, I think that that is often missed in business. It's it's such an opportunity to like acknowledge someone's humanity and and their expertise and it it builds people up. Like who doesn't like a good compliment? Um so yeah, I think it's giving people freedom, empowerment, appreciation, listening to them. Right. Um and I also think that just because you're good in your job, like you could be a great marketer and a terrible manager. Right. Um, Same thing sales, we know that for a fact. Yeah. And right. so I think that I think if I think it's really important for people to self-reflect. And unfortunately, a, another tidbit from radical candor, um unfortunately the way business has been set up um especially in America is that if you want to grow in your career, you have to manage people. And that's very unfortunate because there should be a path for growing in your career if you're not a, a manager of people. You know, you could you could be mm-hmm. like, you know, the absolute expert, but maybe you're not the right person to manage a team. So I really think we need to have a way that people that's can climb the ladder without having to, you know, have a bunch of direct reports. Well, how do you balance the things that you mentioned earlier about acknowledging people, giving praise? Um, not micromanaging. How do you balance these things with accountability though? Not everybody yeah. is doing a good job all the time. So when people are struggling, um, I the approach I like to take is asking questions mm. and kind of like helping them to um, pull out, like, like pulling the information. It's kind of like that didactic approach, right? Where you're, you're asking questions, you're getting the person to self-reflect. Right. And so like, you know, as an example, if you're, if you're seeing that, um, I don't know, we'll, we'll take SDRs cause that's what you and I worked on together. Right. right? So right, if an right. SDR is consistently not hitting their, uh, you know, their call number or their email number, and we're seeing this over time, you know, having a conversation like, Hey, you know, I'm noticing this, that the numbers you're, you're kind of like, typically falling, you know, 10% short pretty consistently. Can you help me understand what things are getting in the way so that you're not able to reach that number? So don't assume something negative off the bat. Maybe there's something you don't know about. Maybe there's something that you could help. Maybe you need to take something off their plate or, you know, ease things up by providing some additional resources or whatever it is, you know, give them an opportunity to reflect and explain. Maybe you don't have the information that you need. Now, you know, I've been in situations with employees where, you know, things have gone south and, you know, they've had to be terminated. Um, That sucks. It's never fun. Um, But I think in general, most people, you know, are trying to do their best and sometimes it's just not a good fit. And so I think at that point, like, again, remember the humanity. Um, I think you need to try to believe the best and, and treat those people, um, with the dignity and respect that they deserve. Um, yeah, I, that's, I, a, that's I, a big topic right now with a lot of layoffs happening, right? Tech sales, is imploding, exploding, whatever reference you yeah. want to use. But we're yeah. seeing every day the headlines of more and more tech companies cutting tens of thousands of their employees, in which 
is impacting revenue organizations, both sales, marketing, and in, in all other areas. Yeah. Right. So, what's what's your take on on that headline in terms of executives making these massive layoffs and coming under the scrutiny of not doing it in the most humane uh, method? So I think that a lot of these companies are, you know, taking a very like cover your ass kind of approach. Are we allowed to swear? I don't know. <laughs> yes, we can say okay. ass. Can say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, they take very much a cover your ass approach. And so it's like, you know, at three, I, I, I think it was Spotify or Alphabet or something. I was reading one of the recent layoffs, you know, 3 a.m. The yeah. everybody gets disconnected from email and before they've even been told and um, there's no humanity in that, right? I mean, this is people's livelihood. And when you touch a person's livelihood, they're they're gonna get upset, you know. Um, yeah. people are living paycheck to paycheck. That's the reality of the world we live in. And and they're they get scared and they're and and there's just no humanity in, you know, just cutting off access to systems before you've even had conversations. Um Again, it's assuming the worst about your employees, assuming they're going to go in and uh, listen, I get it. You have to protect yourself, but there has got to be a balance between treating your employees like they're robots and, you know, letting them have carte blanche into every system in your company. I believe there's something in the middle that, you know, we can, we can work on. And I just think you know, corporate America has a very long way to go before we figure that out. Um, in many ways, people are products in a capitalist well, society. That's where I was going to ask you is, you know, we literally refer to employees as resources. Yes. Right? Should I, mean, we? I, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of gross. Like, right. I don't know. I don't even like, I don't know. I mean, I, I some of it may be just industry terms, but like, I always referred to the people that worked under me as, you know, people on my team or teammates, right. team members, exactly. right? Exactly. Because that's, that's how I viewed it, right? I, they're, they're not my employees. They're not my staff. They're not my underlings like that. I just, these are humans. These are people. And I don't know, it's just corporate America is a long way to go. I think in a lot of soul searching and right. I mean, maybe I, I think a lot of the layoffs we're seeing, this is a correction from during right. COVID. Over hiring. So it's it's yeah. not entirely surprising. This That's was the way that we're going about it. I think that's the thing is like, there's a, there's a balanced perspective. We have to acknowledge that, you know, what some of us were hired at the time that we were hired and what that represents. Yeah. Businesses, they, they do this. They, they, they do their best. You enjoyed the benefits. Uh, you got the training. You got some experience. You built your network more. So the the years that you spent at that organization prior to being laid off, there's a lot of value that you were able to take away. Now, if at the end they sent you a Slack message to say that you your time here is no longer required, yeah, that's not humane whatsoever. And there's yeah. definitely a better way of delivering that news. The thing is that from a balanced perspective, it's not just you know, uh, woe is the employee. Businesses have an obligation. I mean, we are, if, if that's the fact, if, you know, this is maybe teetering on other viewpoints, but you work in a capitalist society, you work for a for-profit organization. Um, we're either in the red or we're in the black. It's very binary. And we, but at the same time, we want to, 
you know, do our best to realize that at the center of all of this is people that making this whole thing go around. So, you know, it those is. human resources that were, you know, they're not robots, you're right. So we have to, you know, both on the capitalist side, realize that we're not managing robots, but on the employee side of things, we also have to realize that this is a for-profit world. So there's this balanced approach, I, I would hope. I mean, it's not this, this or that, it's more yeah. of an and. But I think we also have to do some soul searching around things like, you know, when, um, CEOs are getting multi-million dollar bonuses while mm. the underlings, you know, are being losing everything. Yeah. Right. right. So well, who do we see mm, that? Uh, was it a Google? The Bruce Springsteen concert? Uh, they, they dropped some like a million dollars for a private executive uh, thing. And yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, they had just cut off a bunch of people. But yeah, the, I mean, the optics are, are terrible. That's going to have to be fixed. Um, uh, but some of that I think is, is sort of generational. It's the legacy of a way of doing business from, you know, way back when. Right. And I, you know, I, I'm hopeful, you know, my, my kids are all Gen Z or whatever they're calling them yeah, now. I and track of the uh, yeah, I know. Say. And I'm just hoping that like, I literally, I, li <sighs> this is totally like, it's related, but it's a little off track. Let, so last night, so I have a big blended family and my nine-year-old stepdaughter was sitting next to me at dinner for, you know, we were going out for my birthday and she, you know, she was coloring. We we're just chit-chatting. She's very chatty. And she goes, you know, mommy, I just wanted to tell you, I was talking with Genevieve, who is my 13-year-old daughter. And she was telling me that the dress codes that schools have are very sexist because they're mostly aimed at girls. And here she is at nine, like, and she's thinking, that, I didn't yeah. bring it up. And I was like, I was like, you're right. You're right, Violet. Like, I was like, she, and she goes, you know, and it's true because I see the girls getting in trouble for, for dress code stuff at school, but I don't see that happening to the boys. She's already thinking about it at nine. So we're making progress. We are right. definitely making progress, but it's going to take time. What does it mean to you for, to have a, you know, diversity within a revenue organization. That's something where we have Black History Month uh, in February. So depending yeah. on when this gets dropped, you know, there's that component, the, the racial diversity. Uh, there's having, seeing more women, the lean-in movement that we saw. Um, you know, I have three daughters myself, so I'm a big proponent there. Being a minority and, you know, identifying as a minority as well. Uh, so kind of double layered there. It's important to me. Uh, how it's obviously important to you, but how do we, you know, how have you, or how would you recommend to a revenue leader to grapple or deal with this issue in their organization? You have to start with yourself, um, uh, right? You have to take a long, hard look at yourself. Who are the people you hang out with, right? Mm. Do you only associate with people that look exactly like you? Like, do you have friends that are, have different backgrounds and or are you kind of living in a little bubble? Um, and, and so you're saying that that personal dynamic will transcend into your business life, kind of like we were talking earlier about consumer behaviors and the marketing to consumers and how we're all consumers. But then that transcends that behavior transcends into the B2B world. You're saying as well on a having a diverse team, if you're not keeping a diverse uh, sort of peer group around you or, or however you want to, you know, in your personal life then it's probably going to be a struggle to have diverse teams within the business. I think that's, you know, yeah. uh, a, a fair topic to debate. 
Yeah. And there are a lot of different arguments around why diversity is important in business. Um, I get a little uncomfortable with some of them because, you know, there, there's the argument that diverse teams perform, you know, companies with more diverse teams, um, you know, perform better, right? They have higher revenue, their stock prices are higher, whatever. But again, that commoditizes individuals. And so I, I just, it feels icky. You know what I mean? Yeah, in, and that being the token black man in the you know, or or the token has that ever happened to you, Derek? Wo- never. <laughs> never. Uh, the, the token woman leader, uh, you know, the only like, woman thank, at the table. Yeah, right. Uh, so there's that that level in the, in, the, in the issue, I'm sure as well. And you know, it's it's not a fair world that we live in. It's and not it's not it's an not. equal world that we live in. So they'll we'll always deal with the challenge. I think to a certain degree of how we can leverage diversity as a vehicle to drive more success and not uh, kind of keep ourselves in a bubble. And, um, you know, the thing that I, I, it it comes back to culture and organizations a a lot of times. Right. And, you know, when we talk about culture and we talk about diversity, um, it, it seems like they're very, they are very closely connected, but then I question if we go too far, are we holding ourselves uh, captive to that culture, right? You think about the, we want to have this super diverse organization. So we're going to look at different educational backgrounds. We're going to look at different racial groups. We're gonna, but then it gets into equal employment opportunities and all this stuff. It's like a really dicey topic to get into. And it's it's tough, right? I mean- yeah. Uh, well, it's easy to find people that look like you because in general, the human, um, the human tendency is to hang out with people like yourself. Right. Right. Right, right. So I think if you want a diverse team and the reason I love diverse teams has nothing to do with like increasing revenue or anything like that. I love diverse teams because I believe that there's a wealth of creativity that neurodiversity that comes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I am a huge um, like I cannot stand group think. Right. I'm a big person for like debate and an exchange of differing ideas. And while I may hold my opinions very strongly, I have infinite respect for someone who is willing to, you know, debate me from the other side. In fact, I have an episode of my podcast, The Heart of the Matter in Black and White, where, you know, we, uh, my, my co host and I interviewed um, a guy named, I think it's Chad Jackson, is his name. And he is a conservative black man. And he was in a, a documentary called Uncle Tom. Mm. And we interviewed him on the podcast. And I loved that exchange because my my political views may be like entirely different, but we were able to have this really amazing dialogue that was super respectful and like where we listened to it, we didn't have to agree. I think that's what's missing right now in this free exchange of ideas is, is respect and holding space for people with different viewpoints, not just screaming at one another. Like it's okay to disagree, but can we treat one another with humanity and dignity? Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult topic to, to unpack and it's easier to unpack it when you don't, have the confines of being within a, a corporate setting, yeah. right? Because, you know, when you try to talk about this with human resources within your business, or you try to talk about it with your peers or yeah. employees, it's just, it's like a do not touch anything that's a protected class. You just don't talk about, you don't reference. And that's, and- that's what I think perpetuates the problems. So, don't ask, don't tell. you know, yeah. So 
racism, sexism, home of all these things, they kind of, they live in secret, right? And so I think that's one of the things that really um, I've been really wrestling with over the past few years myself is like, it's okay to talk about really uncomfortable stuff. Like, what is it like to be a black man or a black woman? What is it like to be a white woman in business? What is it like right. we can have the, if, if someone is, you know, is willing to have that conversation, like, it's a, it's not like a, a secret, like, shh, don't talk right. about it. I mean, it, like you can right? see it. It's, it's right. Like, like it's, we're, yeah. we're people. It's the elephant in the room, you know? Yeah. Like they, so yeah. like, why can't we talk about it? Right. Mm. I, I just think that um, secrecy breeds like problems, you know, and, and, and kind of just hushing, let's just a veneer of everything's okay. I don't, right. I don't think that serves anyone. Well, I like what you said earlier about caring and you know, sort of giving a shit about the person. Yeah. And that's yeah. how you built a relationship with your counterpart in, in marketing. And, you know, you have to care enough to have this issue with, you know, have this conversation with people, right? I mean, in my career coming up, you know, I often was, you know, the only one who looked like me and it was never anything that was ever discussed with any manager I ever had. I mean, I've had some great managers. I'm not going to discount them whatsoever, but you never really have a conversation about how are you feeling and how are you settling in okay? And you, you kind of dance around it in most cases. And I think maybe that perpetuates why we stick with those that are like us because you know, it's an uncomfortable topic for, for some of us. Some and of us, we like don't, myself, we're not taught how to do it exactly like, at all. So, so I'll give you an example. When, when George Floyd was murdered in 2020. Um, so my co-host on the podcast, Essence Rebels, dear, dear friend of mine, I worked with her previously and we've just like one of my best friends. Right. And when George Floyd was murdered a couple of days later, you know, I'm just like thinking about it. it's in the news, it's all everywhere. And I, I texted her and I was just like, Hey, I just wanted to reach out and see how you're doing. Like, are you okay? And I didn't specifically tie it to the George Floyd thing, but she responded. And, and this is all in the, our first episode, why we started the podcast. And she was like, Oh yeah, the kids are good. Blah, blah, blah. Like she just started talking about family stuff. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's great. And I didn't, I didn't follow up and say what I really meant, but because we have a close relationship, a few hours later, she texts me back and she goes, did you actually mean how was I doing in the wake of what happened with George Floyd? And I was like, yes, that's what I was asking. And she's like, thank you for asking. And so, and then she went into it and it was like, I was afraid and I've had to unpack what was holding me back. Like, I, I wanted to say like, are you traumatized right now? Like, are you, how are you coping? What is this bringing up for you? But I almost felt like- Do you I even want to talk about it? You know? I didn't know how to. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you got to learn and you got to be willing to be wrong and say the wrong things and like work on yourself. Right, right. It's a, uh, while difficult, really important. And yeah. I think that's a way to really forge- leadership with people who report to you. If you're a revenue leader and you're looking to have a diverse team, if you have a diverse team, lean into it, right? Have that yeah. conversation. But I, I, I look, I don't know how you can have that conversation practically in, in today's climate without, There's it, it takes a level of trust. It, it yeah. level does because it could be misconstrued and you could say the wrong thing. And it just, Performative, it just, this and right, that. Yeah. It just gets down the slippery slope and you never make it back. And I can understand why people avoid it. Um, but you, but then you see women in sales, black women in sales, you see these groups that are forging and coming up. And so maybe it's not within the organization. Maybe it's, you know, all, part of that is an individual stepping out and participating in some of these groups to get more inside 
like affinity resource groups, I think are really great. Yeah. And I I think that there, there's a a level of um, the people who are willing to do the emotional labor, you know, who are, Mm. who can teach us, uh, seek out those resources. Like that's one of the things that I've done is like my, my, um, you know, Instagram feed and like, I follow so many activists because I want to learn, like, I want to learn from them. If I don't know, learn from the people who are willing to share their knowledge, you know, and I read books all the time and I watch documentary. I'm, I'm attempting to educate myself so that I can be a better ally and I can, I can be a supportive leader. And, and so you can deal with the issues you're facing in your own realm and and forging as a leader. And I know they're not the same. I know the things I face are different than what, you know, essence faces as a black woman. She's not just, you know, a woman. She also faces the issues of being a person of color. And so I, I understand we're, we're different, but I feel so aligned because I know what it's like to be other. Like, I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. I know what it feels like to walk around and not feel safe. You know, I know what it feels like to be watched. I don't, it's not the same as what she goes through, but I know as a woman what that feels like. And I can only imagine what that's like for other people in other categories. And so I just view myself as someone who, for wh- whatever platform I have, I want to be a voice for good and, um, and to, you know, break down the barriers and, and, you know, a lot, like I come from a very different background than where I am. And so I know all the arguments, I know all the sort of tropes and I, I want to be part of tearing those down because at the end of the day, we are just people like we're just people I've lived overseas and, and I've traveled a lot. And what I've learned is that everywhere you go, people kind of want the same things. Right. We're really far more similar than we think. Right. This is why people want to work for you. This is why you've <laughs> created such a phenomenal culture within oh, your teams. You. This sweet. is why the alignment works. You build relationships well with, you know, people of other departments, not just other, you know, uh, cultures. Right. So uh, I get really I, like fired up about no, it. No, <laughs> But this is, this is at the essence of who, you know, I'm, talking about your essence uh of who you are and you know look if someone's listening to this and they're thinking about joining an organization that you're running or working with you at the startup marketer i think this is the difference maker in some cases right when you have a viewpoint you stand for something you believe in something and you're willing to voice that and in in a on a platform in a context that these issues can be uncomfortable for, but if you can crack this code the way that yeah. you have, and it sounds like it, just, it comes from within who you are first, it starts with you, like you said, right? If if a revenue leader out there who's trying to do better at this, start with yourself, and you will end up, you know, ending, you know, leading a phenomenal organization just like just like Becky. Thank um, you. Well, that. I know we've we've ran along, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank of you course. for all your insights. And where should people go to to find you and learn more about you? Yeah, so you can go to my website, um, Startup Marketer. So that's start hyphen up marketer.com. Um, I'm on all the social channels, the same name. Um, yeah, and Perfect. you know, I've got blog posts and some resources on there. And if you're looking for a, a you know growth tech marketer, um, you know, I'm your gal. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. 
If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.